Father, we thank you so much for your grace. And now as we come to your word, Father, I pray that your spirit would accomplish its purposes and that we would be confronted with who Jesus is and that we each, each one of us would ask the question of, is the gospel real in our own hearts? And so, Father, I pray that your name is honored and your name is glorified and that your purposes are accomplished. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And we'll be beginning this morning our series through the Gospel of Mark. So we'll be taking uh, several months to, to work through each passage in the Gospel of Mark. And the hope is at the end, uh, we have a... Uh, renewed vision and picture of who Jesus Christ is and the importance of why He came and His mission. One of the things uh, that I remember as a child was uh, one of my favorite TV shows, which was The Lone Ranger. I can remember every Sunday morning getting up and after eating breakfast going and sitting in front of the TV and being excited about The Lone Ranger. And some of you may have never seen The Lone Ranger, uh, especially some of those, I'm young, but those that are younger than me may not know who The Lone Ranger is. Well, every episode of The Lone Ranger would end in a certain way. Now, if you don't know who The Lone Ranger is, he rode a white horse and had a black mask over his uh, face and had an Indian friend called Tonto, and his horse was named Silver. And every episode, he would come to the rescue in some sense. And at the end of the episode... He and Tonto would begin riding off into the sunset. And his horse would rear up and, and somebody that was standing there would go, Who was that masked man? And without fail, there was always one guy who said, That was the Lone Ranger. And then they would ride off. Well, this morning as we look at the Gospel of Mark, in some ways, that is what Mark is trying to do. As he was writing at a time where many people were asking, Who was that man? Who was that that came and died? And, and some people say that, uh, that he was crucified and that he was raised from the dead. And others say that, uh, that his disciples stole the body. And all these things uh, going around about who was Jesus Christ. Well, Mark sets out in this gospel to answer the question of who was and who is today Jesus Christ. He seeks to show us who Jesus is and call us into obedience to Him in a life of discipleship. Now we know that Mark was not uh, one of the twelve apostles, but Mark was a close associate of Peter. And church history tells us that what we have here is basically Peter's sermons and his information that, that he's given to Mark for Mark to write down for the benefit of the church. And again, we are answering, or Mark is answering the question of who is that man? And we know him to be Jesus Christ. Well, let's read the first 13 verses of the Gospel of Mark, beginning in chapter 1 of verse 1. And Mark writes, he says in verse 1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And for the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, were going out to Him and were being baptized by Him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. In verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. What we see in these first 13 verses are the foundation of Mark's gospel as he lays the introduction of the answering the question of who is this? Who was this man that everyone called Jesus? And there are three things that I hope we will find from this passage in regard to Jesus and the gospels. And the first one is this, that Jesus' gospel is the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes. And that Jesus' gospel is the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes. Where do we see this? Look at verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We may read that, and the first thing you think is, well, uh, this is the beginning of the gospel. So this is something that is different to the Old Testament, to where you have the Old Testament saying this one thing, this is, this is one path of salvation. But now Mark is writing and saying, well, you can put all that Old Testament mumbo-jumbo to the side, and this is the beginning of the gospel. Now this is not what Mark is talking about. But what he is talking about, this is the beginning of the long-awaited hope of the coming of the gospel that we see so prevalent in the Old Testament. And how do we know this? We know this because in verse 2, Mark does what? He begins quoting the Old Testament, to show that this man Jesus that I'm going to tell you about and His gospel that He is preaching is the fulfillment of everything that you read from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament. So what does He say here? He, he says that, Behold, I send my messenger in your face. He begins quoting Isaiah and Malachi. And He says that, In verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. There are specific references in Isaiah 43 and Malachi 3.1 that talk about that when the Lord's Messiah comes, when His anointed one comes, there will be one in the wilderness that comes before Him, that prepares His way, that announces His coming. So that's why in verse 4, Mark immediately says, John appeared baptizing where? In the wilderness. He's saying if you know your Old Testament, you know that the messenger that prepares the way of the Lord is going to be found in the wilderness. And I, Mark, am telling you that John, where was he doing his work? He was in the wilderness. On June 6, 1944, what we know as D-Day occurred. Where Allied forces invaded the French coast in Normandy and retook what Germany had taken. Now, the Allied troops landed on the beach at 6.30 that morning, some 160,000 troops. And that constituted the bulk of the invasion. That was the, the meat of the invasion. 
But in the wee hours of the morning, shortly after midnight, something else happened. Some 24,000 Allied troops were flown over into France and parachuted out behind enemy lines. And they were in charge of taking control of crossroads and bridges so that it would cut off the reinforcement line to the German troops that were on the shores in Normandy. Now that wasn't the bulk of the invasion, nor was it the meat of the invasion. But the flying in of those 24,000 troops was the beginning of the invasion. It pointed to something greater. It pointing to the fact that all of what the Allied forces had been building up to for these years was about to take place in a few hours. And so this is what John is doing. He is, in one sense, the beginning of the gospel. Because when he is in the wilderness prophesying of one greater than him to come, for those who know their Old Testament, lights should have been starting, beginning to flash. That the gospel is about to begin. The gospel is about to arrive. Because we know that the Old Testament has prophesied that there is one that will come in the wilderness, and here is this man in the wilderness prophesying of one greater than him will come. Another way that we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament is when we think about what the wilderness means for the Old Testament person or for, for, the, for, the, for the Jewish person at this time. When you think about what the wilderness represented, listen to these verses in Jeremiah and Hosea. Jeremiah writes in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth. Talking, This is God talking about the nation of Israel. How your love as a bride and how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of His harvest. So you have this idea where the Lord is reflecting back upon the time where He delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And they crossed over the Red Sea and where did they live? They went and lived in the wilderness. And as the Lord's reflecting upon that, He's looking back at that time as a time when He made Israel His people and where they were sanctified before Him and where He gave, him, gave them His commandments and they lived as holy before Him. And then in Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, as the Lord reflects upon the disobedience of His people Israel, He says that, Therefore, behold... I will allure her back, talking about Israel, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Acre her door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So we see that John the Baptist is in the wilderness. And in verse 12 we see that the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. So what is Mark trying to do for, for, for the person reading this? He's assuming that whoever is reading this has some knowledge of the Old Testament. And that as someone is reminded of the fact that in the wilderness God made His people, in the wilderness there was a new beginning. He's saying once again, with John being in the wilderness and Jesus being in the wilderness, it is time for a new beginning for God's people. The hope of God's people has arrived as they reflected upon the Old Testament knowing that one day God had promised, beginning in Genesis 3.15, that He would send someone that would crush and conquer Satan. That He would restore what had happened in Genesis 3 when man and woman sinned against Him. 
And so as they're reading the Old Testament, there's this sense of hope of awaiting someone who will come with good news. Someone who will come with good tidings. And Mark is saying, that time has come. The gospel has begun. Jesus Christ, the hope of the Old Testament, is here. So as we think about how Mark was assuming that his readers were were in some way yearning for hope, they were yearning for restoration, yearning for this one that God had promised that He would come. The question that we have to ask ourselves, is there any yearning for the gospel? Are we content with the way things are? Are we content to live in our sin? Are we content to do things as we please? Or is there a yearning for the gospel? So we see that Jesus' gospel is the fulfillment of Old Testament hopes. The next thing that we see is that Jesus' gospel deals with sin. You know, we could ask the question of what is the gospel? Hopefully, as a church and as a congregation, we would know what is the gospel. But unfortunately, there are many people out there who don't know what the gospel is. And maybe this morning, if, if you were forced to answer the question, what is the gospel, you would not have a very good answer. That you've never actually thought about that. We sing about the gospel, and the southern prophets sing about the gospel, and I've been talking about the gospel this morning. But what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Because Mark here says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is the gospel? John answers that question and Jesus answers that question. Notice what John is doing in verse 4. He says he's baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of what? Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 5, it says that all the people were coming there and being baptized and what? Confessing their sins. And then in verse 9, Jesus comes and is baptized by John, therefore identifying Himself and His message with the message of John, saying that they're the same. So what is John's message? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. So when we ask the question of what is the gospel... We could simply say that it is the fact that Jesus Christ suffered and died for God's people. And that He was resurrected to give life to God's people. So the gospel isn't believing, because we are called to what to believe in the gospel. But what are we believing in? We're called to believe in the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and for the sins of God's people, and that He was raised from the dead on the third day. So often it is easy to confuse the implications of the gospel with the gospel itself. So this morning, if you're here thinking that Jesus came to make your marriage better, or if He came to help you pay your bills, or if He came so that you wouldn't get cancer, or if He came so that you'd get a promotion or pay raise, or if He came to make your children successful, He came to give you good grades, He came to make life better, then you misunderstand why Jesus came. 
Jesus came because you and I rebelled against God. Because I transgressed God's laws. Because you transgressed God's laws. Because I am a sinner. And because you are a sinner. That is why Jesus came. Think about the Allied troops as they landed on the beach at Normandy. I'm sure as they were pushing back the German forces, there were many opportunities to get distracted into other engagements. Maybe there were some nice French men talking and complaining about some of the problems that they had had under German occupation. And it would have been easy maybe for some of these troops to to get uh, distracted into doing some other good things. But all those good things weren't the reason why the invasion took place. The invasion took place to push the Germans back to Berlin. Jesus came to solve the problem that sin has caused with our relationship with God. And that is the main purpose of His mission. And yes, there are other great benefits that happen because of the Gospel. But they are not the Gospel. They are simply implications of the Gospel. So this morning, if you claim Jesus for any other purpose than the forgiveness of your sins, then you claim Him for the wrong reasons. And you don't claim Him and claim His Gospel. The Gospel isn't to make life better. It's to pay our penalty for the sin that we committed. So we see that Jesus' Gospel deals with sin. So Jesus' Gospel is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus' Gospel deals with sin. And then finally, Jesus' Gospel is God's Gospel. You may think that, well, that's kind of self... uh, We kind of assume that. Well, there are many people... There's hard to find someone that says something bad about Jesus. But it's important for us to be mindful of the fact that this is, number one, God's Word. And number two, Jesus is God's messenger. So Jesus and God are on the same page because Jesus is God. He is the revelation of God in human flesh. So what does it say in verse 1? It says, the beginning of the gospel of who? Of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So three things there. Number one, the simple name of Jesus. What does that name mean? The Hebrew equivalent of Jesus is Joshua. And what does Joshua mean? Joshua means he who saves or he he who will save his people. That's why in the Gospel of Matthew in, in chapter 1 when it says that, that Jesus came, it said that told, they told Mary that you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then in Luke chapter 2 it says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace when Simeon uh, dedicates Jesus before the Lord. He says, you're letting me depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So meaning the very fact that his name was Jesus means that he is the one God has sent to save his people. And it says that he is Jesus Christ, which simply means he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one that God has promised for his people. But notice what it says in verse 11. Immediately following the baptism of Jesus, 
It says a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. Where God is confirming the fact that this is not just any man. This isn't just a good prophet. That this man you call Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And He is my Son. One of the promises throughout the Scriptures that we see, especially in Isaiah, in three different verses, is the promise that the Lord's Messiah would be filled with the Spirit. That He would have the Spirit put upon Him. And notice what happens in verse 8, where John foretells, he says, I'm going to baptize you with water, but this one coming that is greater than me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then, in verse 10, after he's baptized, it says that immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and what? The Spirit descended like a dove on Him. And then in verse 12, Jesus is led by who? He's led by the Spirit. All these things pointing to the fact that this is the one that God has promised. That God has said, I will send my Messiah, my Christ, my anointed one. And here, Mark is being very clear in saying that the message of the Gospel, that this man, Jesus Christ, is going to proclaim, is God's Gospel. It is God's good news. It is God's good tidings. So, when you think about this, Mark is saying in these 13 verses that the whole purpose of God is centered in this man, Jesus Christ, who is at the same time the Son of God. So when you think about the Allied invasion of Normandy, that as far as the U.S. was concerned, that began when Pearl Harbor was attacked. That everything after Pearl Harbor was building up to the Allied invasion on D-Day. And everything after D-Day was a result of the successes that took place on June the 6th. So that when we look at the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward to this time. This time when Jesus Christ would come. And Mark is saying, it's here. God has invaded His people. He has invaded His world. And He has done it with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we know because we've read the end of the book that Jesus Christ is successful in accomplishing His mission. That He did go to the cross. And He did die. And He was raised from the dead on the third day. And so that everything happens that happens now is a result of the successful mission of Jesus Christ. As we read through the Gospel of Mark, we will continually be confronted with the fact that people don't understand Jesus. The crowds misunderstanding, the Pharisees misunderstanding, the apostles misunderstanding. Will we misunderstand him this morning? Do we really understand the fact that God's central purposes are tied up in the work of Jesus Christ, His Son. That everything in regard to God's purposes revolve around Christ. 
Does everything in your life revolve around Christ? Does everything in my life revolve around Christ? It's easy to say Jesus. Yeah, we love Jesus. But do you really love Jesus? Do you see Him chiefly as the one who paid the price for your sin on the cross? Or do you see Him as someone who will get you a better job? Or help solve your problems in your family? He will help in life. But those are implications of the gospel, not the gospel itself. So do you know the gospel? Is God's gospel and your gospel the same? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we... confess to you that we need your word to remind us of our own sinfulness. And Father, we have been reminded this morning that you sent your Son to die in our place. That he was crushed and wounded for our transgressions. Is this how we see Jesus? Do we see Him as someone we can use? Do we see Him as the one who bore our punishment? Father, we need Your Spirit to work in our hearts. We need Your Spirit to, for many of us, to remind us of the simple beauty of the Gospel. That He who is innocent died for those who are guilty. And Lord, that demands some type of response from our hearts and our life. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to ask ourselves the question of of when we came to Christ, did we come to Christ in repentance of sins and for the gospel? Or was it for some other reason? Lord, you know the hearts of every single person here this morning better than I do and better than they do. So Lord, we pray that you would accomplish your good purposes. For those of us that know Christ, we will be reminded of the unfathomable grace that you have given to us through Christ. (coughs) And if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ, that they've never, as John says, repented and confessed their sins, Lord, I pray that they would do that now. Lord, we love you and we commit all things to you. In the name of Christ. Amen.